Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Such a hard and weird passage. I'm kind of in hopes that the reader's theater approach to the scripture reading will distract you. We do have a couple of weeks worth of a series within a series. I hope it doesn't hurt attendance, Um, but the next two weeks, Scripture asks me to talk with you uh, about money. So we will have this conversation about money over the next couple of weeks. Hopefully we will have it in ways that aren't uh, predictable. Hopefully we'll have it in ways that are constructive and conducive to the larger project, larger than money, the larger project that we are about here. Did you catch um, this line, this verse in the song, the last song that they sang before the scripture song in Be Thou My Vision? Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. Let's put that into the category of things that we say or sing or pray, not because they are true today, but because we hope that someday they will be entirely true. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Yeah, I I want us to sing that, and I want us to want to sing that, and and I hope that you wake up every morning uh, not heeding riches nor man's empty praise. The truth of the matter is we don't have to look very far, and sometimes we just have to look no farther than the mirror to see that there are times I get up in the morning and I'm heeding riches and I'm chasing empty praise. I bet I'm not the only one. So we sing and and we pray. We say this most weeks. We pray this prayer at the end of our our worship called the Lord's Prayer and we pray it in the hopes that someday the sentiment takes up ground, takes up so much ground in our mind and our heart and our imagination that someday we will pray it. We pray that prayer in the hopes that someday we will pray and absolutely mean it. And we should sing Be Thou My Vision over and over again in the hopes that someday we can sing it and actually mean it. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Dr. Green has been helping me. A few weeks ago, we had on a Wednesday night a book signing. Dr. Green's written a commentary in the book of Deuteronomy, and and so much of the book of Deuteronomy has to do with this very important statement called the Shema uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone, or the Lord is one. And, and the, the, the ramifications of that statement are so huge, they are so large, it's very hard for me to actually communicate it. There is this belief. God seems to believe that the people of God will be so singularly focused on the call of God and the mission of God that every other interest and allegiance would be subordinated to the call of God and the mission of God. That is crazy, isn't it? (laughs) That the call of God and the mission of God would have such a deep 
and powerful claim on our lives that we would allow God to shape the shape of success, even business success, even financial success. That the call of God would tell us when we are successful financially or in the business world, as opposed to that mindset, and perhaps you've seen this, where business folks are committed first and foremost, it's not just wealthy people. In fact, we should say more than just business folks, folks who handle money, and that might be you the consumer, not just you the producer. But folks who handle money are so absolutely determined to have a good bottom line or so fearful of not having a great bottom line that they will work at that and that will be their overarching predominant lens through which they do everything and live all of life and make all of their decisions and they will remake God in that image to fit that mindset daily if necessary. Had a banner year this year, had a banner year. Sold bazillion widgets this year. God is good. My neighbor, who also sells widgets, only sold like a dozen the whole year. Loser. Obviously, God cares for me more than God cares for. Yeah, the Shema seems to indicate, and we'll get back to it at the end today, but the Shema seems to indicate that there should be no other gods. That there should be no other gods telling you and defining for you what success looks like. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Sounds to me like it was written by somebody who really aches for that to be true. I know some folks that are really good at business, really good at business. <laughs> so good at business, they can fall out of bed and make money. Have you ever been around some of those people? Really good at business. I know folks who are good like that, they kind of know the tricks of the trade, let's say, in other ways as well. I, I know other folks who are really good at traveling. Have you ever been some, around somebody who is really good at traveling? Or camping, let's say. They have all the gadgets and, and everything. They, they make camping, and this is crazy to me, they make camping a pleasant experience. It's crazy to me. Again, travelers. I, I have been around folks who are really, really good at traveling. They know how to at least limit the pain of traveling, and traveling can be a pain. And they're really good at it. There's, a, there's like a singular focus, but beyond that, there is a love there are folks I've been around who are just incredible in the kitchen. They know their way around the kitchen. They know the tricks of the trade. They, they, they love it. They love it. Again, to circle back around, I know folks who are really, really good at business or things financial. They're really good at it. They seem to know the tricks of the trade. They know the shortcuts. They know the things to, to sweat over. They know the things that they should kind of let go of and not sweat over. They're really good at it. They're really good at it. They're really clever, clever. There are um, folks I, I looked up this week. Show me, tell me the stories of the most clever bank robbers of all time. I want to know who the most clever uh, thieves have been throughout time, and I found a bunch. Now, frankly, I didn't find any of them that were as much fun as this preview to the movie Ocean's Eleven. Amen. 
Man, I liked those movies. I especially liked the first one, the first Ocean's Eleven preview, which actually, uh, uh, movie, which actually is a remake. You know, that movie was made several years, years earlier, like 40 years earlier. Do you know that we are approaching 15-year anniversary of the release of Ocean's Eleven? These folks were so clever, shrewd even, so clever. Uh, let's, let's enjoy this together. I hope that's what's next. If it's not, let's skip to that. Skip to that, and I'll come back to that, Wes. Can you skip me through? Yeah, yeah, we'll get back to that. It's never been done before. What's the target? When was the last time you were in Vegas? You want to knock over a casino? Three casinos? Vegas, huh? Vegas? Vegas. Fantastic. The heist is impossible. Casino security cannot be beaten. You're out of your minds. Exactly. <laughs> you are up to something, Danny. What? You're pulling a job, aren't you? You're a thief and a liar. I only lied about being a thief. You're gonna need a crew as nuts as you are. What do you got in mind? Smash and grab job, huh? Slightly more complicated than that. Say we get down the elevator, we can't move and past the guards with the guns and into the vault we can't open. We're just supposed to walk out of there with $150 million in cash? Yeah. Oh. But these guys, that is the sexiest thing I have ever seen, are just crazy enough. You'd need at least a dozen guys doing a combination of cons. Do you understand any of this? I'll explain later. To pull off the con. Someone call for a doctor? of the century. We're set. We're set. We're set. Do it already. Why don't you check the batteries? Congratulations. You're a dead man. George Clooney, Matt Damon, Andy Garcia, Brad Pitt, and Julia Roberts. Why do this? Why not do it? From the Academy Award-winning director of Traffic and Aaron Brockovich. Because a house takes you. Unless, when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. Been practicing this speech. A little bit. Did I rush it? Felt like I rushed it. was good. I liked it. Ocean's Eleven. You're either in or you're out. I'm staying in. Hollywood is pretty good at making thieves compelling, right? But in fact, let, let me ask us a question. Is there anything to be admired about these folks, George Clooney and the like, and this, this band of, of folks that he brought together who are all wildly talented in their areas? Is there anything to be admired there? Yeah, there is. They're brilliant. And they know how to work a system. Brilliant, and they know how to work the system. They're very clever, and they're really funny, and all of this really helps to make a really good movie. And in fact, it worked so well, they made Ocean's 12 and in Ocean's 13, and maybe they shouldn't have, but that's how good it was, Ocean's 11. Jesus wishes out loud that folks were as good at being people of the mission as they are being shrewd in business. No, no amens? Okay, I'm going to try that over here. Jesus, several times, not just here, but here, wishes out loud that people were as shrewd and as clever as the con men, 
as the people who are working the system and beating the system, Jesus wishes that the people of God were that clever when it came to implementing, implementing the victory of the resurrection. Some people are really good at traveling. I mean, they just, they're really good at it. They know the tricks of the trade. Some people are really good in the kitchen. They just know how to do it. Some people are really good at camping. They just seem to know how to do it. They study it. It's a passion. They study it. It's a passion. They figure out how to, to cut corners. They know how to do all the right sorts of things and avoid the wrong sorts of things. They know how to make it all work. There are people who do that way in business. They're really good at it. They know the tricks of the trade. They are so clever and so shrewd that they succeed because they're using every ounce of their God-given cleverness, their intelligence using every ounce to be good at business? What if we used every ounce, or at least the best ounces, to be good at implementing the victory of Christ and cross? What if? What if we were just as passionate? There's a word. What if we were just as passionate when it comes to implementing the victory of Christ and cross. Maybe we don't say this enough. Listen, in a world, and now, Wes, we can go back to that slide where we had the, um, yeah, that one, it's a good one. Maybe we should say this more often. There is a collision at the cross, right, between different ways of being alive. There is a collision at the cross between different, let's say, theologies, philosophies of life, theologies. There is a collision at the cross as to what a meaningful, fulfilling, successful life looks like. On one side, you have people who are so angry at Jesus in the way that Jesus is describing a healthy, right, well-defined way of being alive He is such a threat to their versions of success and right and wrong, success and failure. Jesus is such a a threat to the way that they have organized the world that they see no choice. And I'm telling you, the more I study this, the more I believe that they believed that they had to kill him or else everything comes unraveled. They had to kill him because his way of life and his way of thinking is just crazy. He actually believed that love was more powerful than power. We've got to kill this guy because if people actually believe that love is more powerful than power, then it won't do any good to have power and if it doesn't do us any good to have power how are we going to know when we're in charge how are we going to be able to enforce when we're right this Jesus character who's insisting on love everywhere we're insisting on power if he is right and if his thought process rules the day it changes everything we've got to kill this guy and honestly seriously still I think there are people who would vote to kill him Because what Jesus represents is such a dramatic challenge to how we, by and large, now I'm not talking about people in the room, you guys are all Christian, but those people out there, maybe it is a few of us here who have this bad habit of calling it Christianity even, even when it doesn't resemble Christ. In fact, maybe there are times, maybe there are times when folks in the room sort of use Jesus as a rabbit's foot 
in the hopes that Jesus will somehow come along and help me this day to make the right kind of decisions because what really matters at the end of the day is that I've made a profit. I tell you, I've also seen people who are really good at marketing. Have you ever seen folks who are really good at marketing and getting the word out? Sometimes it's their word, sometimes it's their book. <laughs> I've seen people really good at getting their word out. Marketing. Jesus seems to have been a terrible marketer. Because not only was he living and speaking out in opposition to the way that the rest of the world, the dominant culture, wanted to organize itself, he resisted by being publicly executed. <laughs> Which, of all the dreams you may have for your family members, that's not going to be one of them. Is there anything more humiliating for Mary? Oh, you're Mary. It was your son who was cast out so much so that it made some sense to kill him. And then he didn't stay dead. And then in the resurrection, everything that Jesus said about the right way to be alive and the right way to be postured, everything that Jesus said comes to life, comes to truth, comes to fruition in the resurrection. So in other words, here goes Jesus traipsing through the countryside saying, no, here's the way we need to be alive. Here are the ways that we need to define success. And coming into conflict with all of these other kingdoms, some of which were populated with believers, coming into conflict with all of these other kingdoms, and sure enough, they can't handle it anymore. They kill him. They kill him because of, not just because of what he was saying, but because of the ways that he was behaving. And then all the different ways that he was behaving and all the different things that Jesus said were all validated in the resurrection. Do you hear that? They're all validated in the resurrection. And they stand now in front of us as a calling. We are supposed to be implementing this new way of being alive that says there is something more powerful than power itself and it seems to be suffering sacrificial love. Still, that doesn't make sense. That is our calling. Beyond that, beyond that, it's supposed to be a calling that is so all-consuming. Watch this, watch this. So all-consuming and so pervasive that Jesus has the audacity to suggest that it should factor in, that it should influence the way you go about being a parent or a spouse or a child or a friend or an enemy or in business. I learned this from some of my predecessors when I sit down with a couple and they come in here all twinkly-eyed, and they say, we want to be married. God wants us to be married, they say. <laughs> then I have learned to ask this question. How does this marriage, watch, how does this marriage benefit the kingdom? How does this marriage advance the kingdom? Because you breathe, your heart beats to advance the kingdom. First calling advance the kingdom. That's what's being said. The Lord our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, 
might. How does this marriage advance the kingdom? How does this business venture advance the kingdom? Uh, I don't, I'm not talking about religious. I'm talking about, I'm talking about business. I kind of separate that from my spirituality. Do you? God doesn't. How does this business venture, how does this business decision advance the kingdom? How does it advance the kingdom? I'm, I'm just having a business discussion. I'm not, I'm not having a theological discussion. Oh, here's the thing. If you can't tell me how your business decision advances the kingdom, you are, in fact, having a theological discussion. It's just not the God that you and I want to be following. Fastest growing theology in the world, especially in North America, is materialism. Materialism, the commodification of all of life. <laughs> it's not just the United States. It's not just North America. It's all over the world, but it is certainly United States. It is certainly North America. It is certainly Oklahoma. Now keep watching. It is certainly Oklahoma City, and it is certainly the world of the church in Oklahoma City in 2016. How does this business venture advance the kingdom? How does this career decision advance the kingdom? Are you suggesting, John? Are you suggesting that I should make career decisions based on whether or not this career would advance the kingdom? Yes. Because Jesus seems to. <laughs> Are you suggesting, John, that as I make decisions as to how my family will be shaped and how my family will be scheduled on into the future, are you, are you suggesting that as I, as I make decisions as to how my, my pocketbook will be organized, how my calendar will be organized, are you suggesting that as I make the decision as to whether or not to vote and whom I will vote for, are you suggesting that that should be a kingdom decision? People, yes. What, what is it that you think this Jesus wants? All of it. Every last bit of it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of it. And everything you do, from your getting up to your going to bed, everything that you do, everything you look at, every decision you make, you tie things to your hands, everything that you handle, everything that you, everything that you consider, through every conversation that you have, everything that you say to your children should at some point be understood as advancing the kingdom of God. Advancing the kingdom of God. Remember when we played the video, not too, I'm not going to play it again, but you remember when we played the video not too long ago about the colonization of Mars? 
If you weren't here, we played a video not too long ago about the colonization of Mars. And in that video, um, we were made aware that almost a quarter of a million people applied for this program whereby people would take a one-way ticket. They all sign up and pay a hefty sign-up fee, by the way, to take a one-way ticket knowing they will die in this process, knowing they will die perhaps on Mars, perhaps on the way, that they will die all in the hopes of colonizing Mars. And of the quarter of a million or so that signed up, they whittled it down to 1,000, and then they whittled it down to 100, and they're going to whittle it down to 24 by the time they launch in 2024. And amongst the 100, you have parents of smaller children and parents who have had to have this discussion with their children to say, listen, I know it's really good to have a mom at home. I know it is, but this is bigger than that. And so, Dad and I have talked about it, and now she's talked about it with her kids, and she's going, with their blessing, to do something, I guess, that would be understood as more important. And I kept saying to you that day, and I'm going to say it again to you today, our calling is to colonize the earth. Man, our calling is not just to be well-behaved. Behave, please. Let's all behave. Can we? Let's behave. But our first calling is not to be well-behaved. <laughs> our first calling is not to be well-behaved. It is to be faithful to the calling of God to colonize creation. To be the tangible expression of the heartbeat of God so that God would have a people to call God's very own so that all of creation through this temple and we're being built into a temple so that all of creation would have access to this God in and through this temple and God would have access to all of creation in and through this temple. That is our first calling. And yes, we are expected, much like the lady is who's going to Mars, she has subordinated every other claim to her life, to this calling to go to Mars. Similarly, similarly, we are to subordinate every other claim, including familial claims, including business venture decisions, including career decisions, including our attitudes about everything. We are to subordinate everything to this calling to be the means whereby God advances God's kingdom in the world. We are colonists, you guys. Jesus aches for shrewd, wise, clever people to advance this kingdom well. Jesus aches for folks. Jesus aches for folks who will use their smarts, who will use their business acumen to advance the kingdom. We are blessed to have 
a, a Nazarene campus 10 minutes from us, and, and I have been blessed to be able to, to go to many of these Nazarene campi, campuses, campi, And I've had many opportunities to talk to folks in the business departments. And it is interesting. They do not speak with one voice. At some schools, they will tell you, first of all, we are trying to educate young business people, men and women, to unleash out there into the world so that they can, with their business smarts, with their business smarts, advance the kingdom of God. Other business departments have said essentially this, we want to send out there very effective and powerful business people who are well-behaved. And here's the thing, and I, you know, this is called a parable. I'm not sure that it is. It may be that Jesus has just heard about this story and he's saying, hey, listen to this, disciples. You'll notice that he has gone from the parable of the lost son or he's talking to the Pharisees and that's a whole thing that we talked about last week. They were grumbling that too many people are allowed around the table. Jesus seems to have changed audiences now and he's talking to his disciples now. The folks will be entrusted with the calling. In other words, he's talking to us. And he said, have you heard this one? about this absent giant landowner, incredibly wealthy, who is, is essentially a loan shark, and, and he has rented out some of this property to these peasants who are trying to generate olive oil, or they're trying to generate wheat, and there's all, there was always enmity between them. They were always banging heads, and so you have this person in middle management who kind of served as the buffer between the two, the steward person, Right? Well, it looks like the, pe the peasants who hated everybody because they were always being squeezed for every last little bit of profit, it looks like the peasants said, hey, you know what? We can get to this middle manager guy. Like, we can't get to the landowner. We can't get to him, so let's do this. Let's try to sully the reputation. Let's tattle on this guy, and it may or may not have been true, but let's tell the wealthy guy, hey, middle management guy is actually costing you money. He is squandering money. And so when he hears about it, the wealthy landowner says, hey, I hear that you're costing me money. You better get that resume in order because I'm going to let you go. And the steward says, this is a bad thing. I'm in my mid-50s and I am too old to dig and I'm too proud to beg. I got to keep this job one way or another. So here's how he does it. He goes to each one of the debtors and he says to each one of the debtors, let's do this. Let's do this. Um, let's slash your bill. Now, every time he does this, he wins favor with these other people who are holding these accounts. He wins favor with them, and sure enough, and he may have even said something like this, my master, the Lord of all of this, recognizes that this has been a little bit burdensome to you, so you tell you what, we're going to slash this bill. You say you, own nine, you say you owe 900 gallons or so, that's how much it would have been, 900 gallons of olive oil, let's slash that, let's slash that in half. And you say you own all of the sweets? Let's, let's just slash that too, and we'll call it good. Is that okay? Well, yes, that's okay. And now these very poor people have these great deep feelings of gratitude and indebtedness, both to the wealthy landowner and to the steward who has now renegotiated all these contracts. And now the steward takes all of the renegotiated contracts, plops them down in front of the landowner and says, and by the way, with, you may have lost some money, but I have purchased you a lot of goodwill, which you know, landowner, over a period of time, gets you more money. Goodwill gets you some good money. 
And so now the landowner is stuck. Do I fire this guy and then say, oh, no, all of that goodwill I don't need? Or do I need to keep this guy because he's smart enough to handle things? I can't. I can't stomach the PR hit that I'll take if I let this guy go and tear up these newly renegotiated contracts. And so I guess I'll keep you, but I've got an eye on you. But thanks for the PR. And Jesus says to his disciples, that guy worked the system. That guy worked it. He was not in a position of ultimate power. He figured out how to participate in the system. He worked the system. He kept his job. He wins the day, that guy. Now watch. Jesus says, that guy is shrewd. You can call it crooked if you want, but he is clever and he is shrewd and he got what he wanted. He, inv- he advanced his agenda. He also, in a long-term sort of way, advanced the agenda of the landowner. Watch this. Man, I wish believers were that smart. Man, I wish believers were that smart. What do you want to be good at? What do you want me to tell people you're really good at? Because I'm going to. I'm going to tell people. Oh, this guy? This guy is a great marketer. Oh, her? She is a great business person. She is great. She's one of those people who falls out of bed and makes money. Him? That guy is a camping legend. (laughs) He's really good at it. It's like you're not camping. Her? She is a phenomenal traveler. As clever as they come. What do you want me to tell people about you? Because I'm happy to brag on you. I do it a lot. What do you want me to tell people about you? Here's what I hope someday they'll say about me. That Jesus character, that John character. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) We're going to edit that out. Thank you, Wes. We're going to take that out. That John character took very seriously the ramification of an empty cross and an empty tomb. He took very seriously the ramifications of an empty cross and an empty tomb and used every bit of the strength that he had, used every bit of the courage that he had, and used every bit of the guile and the smarts and the cleverness he had to advance the kingdom and implement the victory of the resurrection. And in the process, seek first his kingdom. Remember all of that? In the process, God was faithful to John and John ended up being a good spouse, a good dad, a good pastor, 
Should have been a better driver than he was, but still. But it was like he was laser focused. It's like he actually believed the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with everything that you are. It's like John believed it, and then God was faithful. Not just to add to John the things that John's heart's heart desires. And many times that has been true, but God has been faithful then to use a vessel to advance this particular and unique agenda amongst all other agendas. What do you want me to say about you? Maybe it'll be Jason. What is it that you want to be said of your life? That you gave the best of yourselves to business, to the making, or at least the saving, or at least the not spending of money. That you gave the best of yourself to camping, God be praised. That you gave the best of yourself to your career, or that you gave yourself to the implementation the victory of the resurrection. And the world is different because of it. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance, now and always. <sighs> I'm glad I have an opportunity each week to come to the table and confess the ways in which I've fallen short and the ways in which God invites me back. If you're helping us today, then come and gather around this table so that we can convene a meeting of all of those who have fallen short and all of those who are still called to this process whereby God remakes us as people who embody, embody the Shema. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and use them, God, to strengthen us to be your people. God, many of us today will be coming seeking forgiveness that we have not, in fact, lived up to or into the commitments that we have made to you at the moment of baptism, at the moment of decision. But many of us, Father, fall into this category of people who want to want to. So God, receive us as we seek your forgiveness and remind us that even in that moment, right then and there, we are still called, chosen, accepted, that you are still ready to make good use of us to move kingdom agendas forward. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, exit your pew to the left, and then come forward with your hands cupped. You don't buy these things. You don't buy forgiveness. You receive it. You receive it. So receive this broken body.
When you do, that person holding that bread for you will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it just yet, but take it, dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. Dip it into the cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat, and then, friends and family, I invite you to join me in finding a place to pray that very simple prayer. God, help me to be better next week. <laughs> closer, closer to that point when I can sing with reckless abandon, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Closer to being that person who puts skin and flesh on the Shema, on the Lord's Prayer. Find a place to pray. Maybe it'll be at one of these side padded altars where someone will meet you and pray a very powerful prayer for healing, physical, emotional, mental, perhaps theological. I heard about that today. Someone said, I kind of need some help there. Relational. Any kind of prayer for healing is welcome at these side padded altars. Or maybe it's at one of these mourner's benches. What you'll notice is that you just don't pray alone. You, you will be... You'll be encouraged to know that there'll be other people who will pray in solidarity with you because we all fail similarly where much of this is concerned. Maybe you'll circle around, go back to your seats, and that's okay too. I think God hears those prayers out there as well. But pray. And if you think of it, come down here and dip your fingers into this water because by the way just because you may have had a bad week or two or month or year if you were baptized you're still baptized you're not unbaptized perhaps you need to be reminded that you are baptized and amongst the baptized so dip your fingers into these waters and may that chilly water remind you that you are claimed that you are claimed if you can't come to us Aaron and Brittany will come to you one more time, hear me say, all are welcome here. Even if you've had a terrible week and you recognize your need for grace, you will always be welcome at this table that not only will provide you some source and sense of forgiveness, but also will recall you into the initiative of advancing the resurrection. So on the night he was betrayed, that our Savior took bread, he broke it, and he gave it, blessed it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body now broken for you. Every time you eat it, remember me. Likewise, after dinner, he took the cup, and he held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, and every time you drink it, remember me. All who are in need of remembering now, would you stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, come with your hands cupped to receive the gifts of God for the people of God.
won't stay very long, but I do want to lead you through a brief prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are amongst those who perhaps have been intimidated into something less than full discipleship. Worry, care, anxiety, out and out fear. It makes it tough for us to grip you as tightly as we need to. We find ourselves grabbing other things. Father, loosen our grip where it needs to be loosened. And free our hands to be able to grasp so tightly to you. I'd like to give you that opportunity to pray that prayer in your own words. And maybe it's as simple as this. Father, where should I loosen my grip? might I hold more tightly to you? many in our fellowship who are facing some pretty scary physical challenges. Would you pray for Debbie McKenzie? Would you pray for James and Carolyn Shea? Pray for Lynn Caprero. You pray for Bob and Fran Corey. You pray for Loretta Wheeler. the other people that you know that I may not know, folks who are desperately needing a healing touch, pray for them now.
Father, we approach you each week in all honesty, or at least we're trying to. We come each week in need of forgiveness for things that we've done and things we've left undone, and you always show up. You always receive, you always call us again, and you always send us out. You always claim us. We're grateful, Lord, and we hope this week to do better than last week as it has to do with living in response to your repeated call and claim on our lives. So God, teach us the power and the value of singing songs that we hope someday will in fact 100% and transparently describe who we are. But songs that for us right now may be aspirational, riches I heed not nor man's empty praise, God will keep singing it in the hopes that someday it will be absolutely true and we will keep praying this prayer that you taught your disciples to pray in the hopes that more and more and more it is true in our lives that we would be the people who can put skin and flesh on the very presence of God in our world, that we would be colonists of the best kind. And so church, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer along with me and we will pray it today using debts and debtors. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.